So this, this is a picture of my mom and my grandparents. Doesn't look like it should be in some kind of little old movie. And boy, I got to tell you, they dressed a lot nicer than we do today, didn't they? Uh, my mom was an only child, and uh, actually my dad was as well. So I have no aunts, uncles, cousins. When we take the family picture at the wedding, it's the same picture. Hey, get the rest of the family in. Nope, this is it. That's just all it is. So even my parents had unique things when they had two kids because they didn't even know what it was like to have siblings. So imagine there's no manual for this. Like, why aren't you two doing something on your own? Stop talking to each other. Don't fight. What's going on? And like much of life, they were kind of finding their way through this. But these three, my grandfather, my grandmother, and my mom, were just very, and are very dear to me throughout my whole life. This is them as mom is getting uh, towards college age now in this picture. Uh, my grandpa in particular was probably of my four grandparents, the one that was most significant and connected for me. <clears throat> and the reason is just because I felt like he actually related to me more than the other ones knew how to. You know, sometimes there can be a barrier there. And he, I remember they retired uh, and moved to Fort Wayne. They'd lived in Chicago at this uh, retirement area. And we would go golfing. So I'd go and golf with him. And he'd take me to the clubhouse. And we'd play pool. He even got me a pool cue that was shorter. And not because of how short I am now, but how short I was then. In fact, really, with my grandpa, I loved to do almost everything except for go for a ride. Because my grandpa had the belief that if someone was driving the speed limit, he could pull out. He would pull out. And I was primarily in the death seat when he did that. Like, ah! So I was generally, I built a prayer life just driving with him. But all very dear to me. It, it hit kind of a, a peak for me in that my sophomore year of high school, my grandpa had spent some years taking care of my grandmother. And at that time, she had to be in nursing care. And he'd actually then taken care of his brother-in-law because his sister had passed each of my parents also had an aunt and uncle that had no children, so they had even more uh, aging family around them. So he'd taken care of both of these and finally got into a place where it was too much, and his brother-in-law was getting pretty difficult. So my parents asked him if he'd like to move up to our area and rented an efficiency he was going to move into. We, we drove down to get him. When we got there, I noticed he was quite yellow, and they began to talk about it, and he'd lost a lot of weight. Now, I at that age, I'm in, middle school, I'm in high school, I don't know what that means, but they did, and my dad was a doctor, and on the way back, they'd already scheduled a doctor's appointment. He stayed at our home. Turned out he had pancreatic cancer. And so, because my dad was a physician, he actually was able to bring the medical equipment in at that time. There weren't the same kind as been home things. And so, my grandpa spent the last six weeks of his life slowly leaving us. Now, here's the part. Nobody talked about it at all in my family. Like, he was there and they were caring for him, but nobody said anything about what was going on. So those six weeks, I would get in my car after school and go to my friends because it was just hard to be around. And I still remember the day that he passed, which was the senior's final day. It was not mine. I was a sophomore. But he passed that morning, and my parents let me know that he had passed in the night. And I just went off to school. And so you know what seniors are like on the last day? Yeah, last day, what are you doing? Well, my grandfather just passed away. I was the worst buzzkill of anybody you could possibly imagine, but didn't know how to process, didn't know what was going on, kind of left as life and death went, not really sure how to manage it and what to do. Because guess what? In those years especially, people didn't talk about it. Now, with my grandmother, it was a whole other story of how her kind of slow leaving us went. Grandma, this was some years before, and we knew some things were going on, but not what. My grandpa had called my mom and said, hey, would you mind just having your mom with you for a week? I'd just like to get some time myself. Oh, sure. So he drops off my grandma, and we're just thinking she's spending a week with us. 
Now, it's the first morning that she's there after she's been there the day that I discover something more is going on because there's a couple things. I have a trundle bed when I was growing up. So a trundle bed has a bed underneath it. And I always pulled that one out and slept on the lower one. And I had left my awesome mirrored red, white, and blue sunglasses on my other bed. And I slept with the door open. So I wake up in the morning and I turn to the bed above me and there's my grandmother with pajamas, clothes, pajamas, and my sunglasses on, just sitting there. Now, in case you don't know, that is a frightening thing for a young boy. And all I'm doing, and not even looking at him, I'm just going, Mom, Mom! Well, what we found out in the midst of the humor, and there was both, that my grandmother was slowly going through Alzheimer's. She was losing her way, and we were saying a slow goodbye to her. But we never talked about it. We just walked through it and did things to help. But my grandparents didn't talk about it. My mom didn't talk to them about it because that's what they did. They just coped without actually talking about what was going on. Now, here's the thing that came more significant is my mother actually went through a similar thing as she got older. And we started to find it out because actually it was my son, the first of my children that got married And mom was late for the wedding because she couldn't find her way there. And that became an ongoing pattern. She began to call us and be lost. And then we began to see other things. And we actually went through a time where we had her go and get a neuropsychological, kind of find out how bad the cognitive impairment was. It wasn't too bad at first. We had to do another one later. And there was a slow decline. Now, my mom lived in a retirement center that had independent living It had some assisted living, and it had nursing and memory care. What I found that was difficult, though, was even the people that worked there weren't willing to call it. So all of a sudden, we were left to have to make decisions and even push things. And here we were as my mom began to decline, doing all sorts of things to care, talk about it, but ultimately led to increased care. Now, here's the difference between my mother and my grandmother in these two eras. In my grandmother's era, when she was ill... It was thought that it was inhumane to let someone starve. So they gave her a feeding tube and kept her alive for seven years in nursing care, just kind of shelled up like a little baby. By the time my mom's issue came along, they knew more, and suddenly they knew to let someone, that's the brain's way of closing down, and they understood it differently. So... I'm just giving you my journey in this, but let's be honest. Every one of us face different circumstances, and we all deal with life and death. Now, we said in this series we wanted to be above the fray, and we were talking about life. That's really what we've looked at in these four weeks. It's been more that we've been addressing issues of the kind of political climate because of how hostile we've been about certain things. And so the first week, we gave an overview of how does the kingdom work How does God move and how does he bring power differently? Because it's not like us with might and demand. He brings power in a different way. And the next week, we looked at the beginning of life and God's incredible passion and understanding of how he brings life even in the womb and what that means. And then last week, we looked very uniquely at those who are struggling and particularly those in minority and poverty that are. And we really came to this very simple understanding through all of this series, which is this, that God is pro-life from womb to tomb. In other words, God always cares about moving and helping us through life. And so what we understand is God will always be one to champion. In case you don't know, 
every time we look at old commandment laws, they're always trumped, they're always overseen by protecting and preserving life. Jesus multiple times heals on the Sabbath and he'll keep saying, would you let someone, would you let your pet, would you let your animal, would you let the livestock go? He doesn't say pet, would you let your livestock go? And they go, no, of course you'll heal. And then he heals people on the Sabbath as a way of saying life trumps the rules. Life matters at every stage. Now, while this one is not charged in the sense that we polarize, we wanted to finish with the end of life because quite honestly, no one talks about it. And if God cares about life towards the end, why would we not talk about it? And so I know it's not that takes sides. I think actually most of us go, can you please not talk about it? Let's just leave it somewhere we don't have to address, deal with, face. So my intention today is to just help us look at end-of-life issues. Kind of look together, how does God walk with us? What does this even mean? And so I want to begin with a passage kind of setting the course for us and really just a simple idea from it that is a passage that's read very frequently, actually, at funerals. If you're with us and you haven't been around church, you might have even heard this one because of all the passages in all of Scripture, it might be the one that's most often read. And I just want to look at a few simple things from it. The psalmist is describing God's very life and who God is to them. And this is what the psalmist writes. It's Psalm 23. We're not going to go through all of it. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Now, I want to give you at least what I think is hopefully a simple understanding. And like I said, if you haven't been around church, that's okay. You don't have to be some scholar or Bible knowledge guru to know this. So Israel, who are the people of God that the scripture is written around, these, these nobodies that no one even paid attention to that God moves through, which by the way is part of how God moves, isn't it? Takes people that are un, unnoteworthy, unaware. In fact, the person he picks to be the first one, these first couple is a couple that's older and they haven't been able to have a kid. That's who he's going to change the world through. Now that you understand that's crazy, right? That's God. But what I want you to understand is in the Old Testament, particularly the Hebrew Bible, when God describes himself to the people of Israel, he often uses the term shepherd. Now, just contemplate that with me for a minute. I know none of us are walking around doing sheep and any of those kind of things. We don't have, you know, sheep folds anywhere around us that I know of. Maybe some of you do, and it's hidden, but I doubt it. Do we have any awareness? And Israel had more of that, but the simple thing is God picked, and what God always does is he picks tangible ways to explain who he is to people. It's not always this, and we try to do it with these really flowery, very abstract words, and God goes, oh, I'm a rock, I'm shade, I'm a fortress, I am a shepherd. In fact, when Israel's in all the mess that they are, one of the prophet's themes over and over again as their nation's falling apart is God is so frustrated with their leaders because they haven't shepherded Israel well. They haven't cared for them and walked with them and been around them. And he says, I myself will come and be their shepherd. So the one thing I want you just to see is the way God describes himself is like a shepherd who cares for those around him, who walks with them. And sheep were very much following the voice of the shepherd. They always listened and knew and responded to. And in case you don't know, sheep are in deep need of help. 
So I'm not ashamed of this. In fact, it's, the older I get, the clearer it is I'm in deep need of help. And, and if you are self-sufficient and you're like, I don't need that, I mean, whatever my constituents are, I'll, I'll certainly let, I'll consider God's consultation. But I want you to know, man, we need God. And the metaphor used here is shepherd because God wants to be close and guiding and with us. And that takes us really to the simple idea in the next verse. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, this idea of a deep, dark valley, and you may have heard it in older translations where it says the valley of the shadow of death. And there's all sorts of reasons. I don't need to get into why that gets changed. This is a a better literal translation. When you hear darkest valley, what you need to understand is it's the time that's most dangerous, most lonely, and most difficult. And in case you don't know this, if you're managing sheep in Israel, in the ancient world, you have to go through the valley to get to places of health and life and safety. In other words, it's not if you'll go through dark valleys, it's when and how. And so there's lots of dark valleys we all go through. We go through job loss. We go through relationship fracture. We go through rejection. We go through financial difficulty. We go through illnesses, all sorts of things we could pile on. But we are going to look specifically today at when we have to walk through the valley that actually is that which is death, which is dark. And what is the one thing that the shepherd is told, that we're told, which is that God is what? He's with us. That God is what? He's with us. He's with us. He's with us. Now, it's okay for me if you don't believe it, but I got enough faith for us, and I'm going to talk to you about more what that means. I'm hoping even as we go through, maybe you'd believe I can at least move that way or hope for it. Maybe for others of us, we just don't talk about it and hope he shows up. But the reality is the psalmist said, that God is not only as our shepherd, but in the darkest, most difficult places, he's with us. And you know what the simple idea is? Valleys are meant to be together. When we go through valleys, it's always meant to be together. And in case you don't know this, when Jesus rises, and then for those who follow him, not only are we forgiven, we're given his spirit, his very presence to be him to the world around us. That means we are called to go through the valley together. So what I want to do is just give you some thoughts on what that looks like. And I want to explain it this way before I I get into some of these principles and some of these ideas. Um, Because I don't want to claim expertise, because I'm not, but what I do want to claim is I've been around it a lot more than most people. So I looked back over the 20 years I've been here, 20-something, I've done over 100 funerals, just funerals. That isn't even all the hospital visits, news that people have come to me with, all sorts of pain and difficulty. I still remember one of the first times I got a call when I was on call, and Dennis, who was our senior pastor, and I met up at the hospital. Dale Whitman was his name, and his wife, Virginia, was in the hospital. Virginia had had a fine day, and she'd started to have some trouble slurring her words in the afternoon, so it was getting worse, so they took her to the hospital. By the time we got there, they had found out that Virginia had a fast-acting leukemia and they gave her a matter of hours before she'd pass. And suddenly we're sitting with Dale having to say goodbye to his wife in a matter of minutes and hours. Now that's just one. I'm telling you, I've seen families and dealt with families with little children, with babies that have been born 
and passed away at birth. Ones that have died just before, ones that have died soon after, little kids with cancer. I've sat and walked with families over months and even years only to see them pass. Watch with a young girl who had a horrible situation that literally she came out of it. She'd had anoxia for quite a while, had some damage. Uh, we prayed and prayed and prayed and she came back at a limited level and about eight months later she had another episode and I was right back in the hospital with her parents, this time saying goodbye. Sat with young families and had to say goodbye to one of the parents. Sat with young families with young adults that have lost their lives over horrible tragedies. We've seen people at every age have death by suicide. Seen people as they've gotten older walk in all sorts of pain, long-term pain that's led to slow goodbyes and fast pain that was just unplanned and unknown. So all I'm saying from this is I've sat with a lot of people. And I've just watched, and I think I've learned watching. You know, I think of pictures like Neil, who sat with his wife and just held her hand, and she lasted for weeks longer than anybody thought she would. It was every day it seemed like they were calling for the family to come. And even after she passed that afternoon, he just sat there, because it had been 50-some years, and he didn't want to leave. It's really a lousy topic, you know, but it's really important. So all I'm saying to you is I want you to lean in with me on the things I've seen and learned. So what we're going to do is we're going to operate on the premise that God has called us to journey together through the tough valleys. That's all we're operating on. And I just want to show you a few passages that give some handles to what that might look like and ways it might move. So this first one is simply a greeting, and I told you already just to be present. That's a simple idea. We're journeying together. How do you and I be present with those around us? But let me take you now to, this is Paul's letter to Corinthian church. It's a second letter. And this is really just a greeting, but it's a profound statement in it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. In other words, when we go through difficulty and God meets us, we actually get a ministry to meet others. That's the simple idea behind it is what we gain, what we discover, we learn. So you wanna share what you've received. You wanna share what you've received. And I wanna spend a little time on this because like I said, I'm not an expert, though I have, I've walked through plenty of things in my own life as well. But I want to tell you things I've observed in what it means to be present and what it looks like to be the one who comforts others in the midst of their pain, whether you've been through it or not. I've learned it from many of you. So the first thing I'd tell you is the whole idea of presence is simply being with them. Do you know, I'll have people regularly say, I don't know what to say when this is going on. And I, I now say, I'll tell them, don't worry, don't say anything, just sit with them. Just be there. Some people won't be able to talk about all they're dealing with, but if you're with them, that's, that's something powerful. Why do you think the Lord says, I will be with you in the dark valley? Because presence is what we really bring to those around us. Just being there is the best and first thing we bring. It's interesting, this is, this is the way the Jewish culture understood grief, but after someone did pass, the first thing to do was just to go to the house and they would literally just sit there outside and they weren't to say anything, they just were there. And if someone from the family wanted to talk, they would listen, 
but their only job was to be present and listen. And if they didn't say anything, then it was just to be present. And I'm telling you, as one who gets called for all sorts of things, and make no mistake, for as many times as I've been called for things, I still don't know what I'm doing, but I know to show up. So maybe the first thing is that we just show up. We don't move away from it. I'll tell you the second thing is to listen. It's learning to listen. And what I mean by listening is listen to what they're doing and how they're doing. Some people, it will be very difficult to share what they're going through. And I've learned to listen to go, are they even willing to talk about this? Are they willing to talk about what they're afraid of or what they're struggling with or what's going on? What can I listen to that's on their mind? Some people will be going through things and what I'm thinking about is all the provisional things they have to do. Man, I need to get my house in order. I need to make sure the bills. I need to know who's going to do this. I need to know how to pass things on. That is part of walking with people through a difficult valley. It's actually preparing and walking through it. For others, it's just listening to what they regret or ache over. And by the way, when you're listening, you're always asking the Lord, how do I just minister to this? How do I just care in the midst of what they're sharing with me? So we share what we have received. And some of you will have things you've learned and that's part of what you share, but I want to tell you with it, just be careful that you're not the advice giver. Well, this is what happened to me, and we get busy telling our own stories. Let's learn to listen and be present for what they need. Let me give you a next thing with this, which is, I found is so significant, and some families, it goes better than others, but it's the whole idea of blessing. You know, when people get towards the end of life and they have time, being able to actually bless those. So if you're the person that is nearing the end to learn to bless those around you, I'm telling you, I watch. Everybody needs blessing at the end of their lives. I, I did a funeral some years ago for a man who really, uh, he died I mean, he died in his 90s here, and he did a lot of transformation in his years here, but he had very unresolved things with his kids. And I remember when they came, you could just still see all the pain they were in from who he was before growing up, and they just needed him to tell them how he loved them and what was great about them. And I've had times where the parent can't, and I still tell them. Because this is what I've concluded. If someone's broken and they can't do it and they pass, they're good now. I'm not going to worry about whether they could and I'm going to give them what I know God wants to give them. But how much more does it mean when a parent, when a loved one, and I'll tell you as a people who you're the, uh, the one saying goodbye. Gosh, I really didn't think this through. Um, <laughs> uh, blessing the one that's going to depart is huge. You know, you may have things uh, that are painful and unresolved, but learning to say what you can is huge. So I learned this. Uh, this was before either of my parents were ill. <clears throat> um, and my dad passed very suddenly, which I didn't even get into. But uh, for some reason, I'd read the book, The Blessing, some years ago. It's a whole book that couple of Christian guys wrote about the, the role of this. And by reading it, it occurred to me, I hadn't really blessed my parents. So I wrote a letter. <sighs> Man, this is not what I want right now. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <sighs> I spent a lot of time. There was something more than water in this, but I'm, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. But <laughs> Unhealthy responses to stress and sorrow. 
that's not one of them that you want. Anyway, you know, I'd spent a lot of time in my early adult life pondering the deficits that I had with my parents. And uh, so it was crazy. I went back and just wrote what I was thankful for and sent it. My relationship shifted with them. Should come back at 11 because I bet I'll work through some of this. <laughs> what I remember is the act of blessing does something of healing. And it heals them too. I'm not saying it fixes all that stuff, but holy cow, it does some great things. And that leads me to kind of the next thing, which is learning that there are going to be places you're going to have to forgive. Because we all have brokenness in some of our relationships. And just to be clear, forgiveness doesn't mean you even tell the person necessarily. Now, if you're the person that's nearing death, it's great if you can ask for other places that you need to tell me. I can't tell you to do that, but I'll tell you it's powerful. And let me just take you to the last one in this setting, which is just learning to pray within four people. So I have learned that God does powerful things when you pray for people in pain and nearing these dark places. So I, uh, I've had wonderful things where I've literally had people that couldn't pass, and I've read beautiful images to them of the end of Revelation when we're together and just prayed God would give them a sense of that and watch them go. I've had, I've had things where people have been in deep pain and just prayed that God would meet them and he shows up. I've had times where I've overprayed and seen things that I didn't expect. For example, I had a, an older woman call me and her mother was in a nursing home and asked me to pray. She was near death. I prayed for her mom who literally passed away while I prayed. And then the mother, the daughter, got had a huge anxiety attack and fainted, and I thought she had died too. It was freaked me out. They actually brought an ambulance. They got her to the hospital. She all she did fine, but I'm literally like I was the angel of death. No one called me for weeks after that to do anything. But what I learned was I'm just going to ask God to move. I'm going to pray for people in these situations, and I'm telling you, it never hurts, and God does move. One of the ways He shows them that He's near is as you pray. I got more to say, I gotta keep going. So I could just stay there. This is one of the beautiful pictures. I just always sticks with me in 2 Corinthians, a little bit later in the letter. He's talking about his circumstances. He says, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And this is what I want you to understand. Did you know that even as we move towards death, spiritual life can grow? So I'll tell you about my friend, Dennis. Dennis uh, had uh, ALS. And I would say Dennis was a pretty self-made person. And when he got the diagnosis, his life shifted. And I watched him become so much more loving and caring and compassionate in the year that his body most declined. God did the most transformation inside. Isn't it crazy that everything else can decline and yet you still can grow and move? Like spiritual life is not inhibited by death or demise. Even my own mother's journey, and I watched her slowly lose her faculties, but it was crazy. One of the things she held on to, she had two things she regularly would recite. One was this beautiful passage that says, though we are basically in the midst of this struggle and suffering, we have, a light, we have this light suffering, we have this eternal glory that we will live into. And she would say it over and over again, even when she couldn't remember anything else. There was this deep spiritual thing growing in her. Now, at the same time, she was very realistic because my mom had another statement she would make regularly, which was, first you're born, it was a slow poem, first you're born, then you crawl, pretty soon you start to walk, pretty soon you start to talk, 
Pretty soon you start to stoop, growing old as pigeon poop. That was my mom's other reciting. So she had this growing spirituality with this also hatred for demise that I just thought was funny, like, that's mom. Uh, but I was been taken by, and I want to tell you this too, when you walk with people, you grow. I got a chance to visit Don Peterson about a month before he passed, and we have a couple, a bunch of people that were with him all the time. They just asked me to come out. He was, he was definitely going through some, some losing of his faculties, his dementia. And I just sat with him. I served him communion, and for that moment, he was just present. And we had a very sweet time of taking communion together, reciting the Lord's Prayer, just being with him. And I got to be part of something sacred that Don moved in my life by being there because I journeyed with him. So make no mistake, even in the places you don't think there's anything going on, there's something going on. Let me take you to the next one. I love this because it's so significant to us. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. And we say it this way, we grieve, but we grieve with hope. And what I mean by this is I'm very concerned in this day and age, we don't grieve. We just think we have to get to hope. But we do grieve with hope. I mean, it's an amazing thing to consider. We actually believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul says it. That's all he's saying is, guess what? Jesus rose, and he means we get resurrected. So guess what? Death isn't the end. And we long for people to know him, that we can grieve, but grieve with hope. And I just don't want to miss the role of us letting ourselves grieve. It was really interesting. When my mom had this slow decline over years, I realized I'd spent years grieving because it was a very slow goodbye. And hope happened at her death in a very unique way. So my mom was, uh, you know, people joke around about people are like, Jesus is my boyfriend. That was my mom all the way around. I mean, my mom was all about being with Jesus all the time, intimacy. She loved it. And I, and I firmly believe that's how she lived. So she had lost her mind, really, towards the end. The moment she died, I knew mom's with Jesus, and it's all restored. That was beautiful. But the other gift I was given in grief was... I got to start remembering who she was before all this mess. It was like God gave back to us and said, hey, remember who she was before all this loss. That's grieving with hope. That's a picture of what God gives to us. I want to take you to just uh, this last one. And this was actually recited at my mom's funeral. It's, it's always stayed with me. The pastor who did it, my sister and I did more of the eulogy he said this of my mom, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants, which he was Australian, so it even sounded better. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Doesn't it sound better when you say it that way? This is what stayed with me. Trust life into the hands of the one who gave it to us. You know, what precious means, very simply, <laughs> is that God carries a weight for life. And we start to believe these lies. If we lose someone, if it goes poorly, he must not have cared. It's not true. I'm not here to try to debate theology of what God creates or doesn't do or how he moves. What I'm telling you is God carries the weight of every single life with us. And precious, weighty in his sight is the death of those around us. Trust him with your own life and the life of others. 
Now, I want to make this final statement before I talk about walking through this valley together, just kind of remind us, which is this. Some of you have been given diagnoses that are terminal. And first of all, I just want you to know, man, we pray, and we'll keep praying for healing. We'll pray for healing as long as you want, and as long as you're breathing, we're going to keep praying for it. And I think God calls us to that. So I don't want to just go, well, it's just this is what's going to happen. At the same time, we honor the journey towards this and walk with people as they are preparing for. It's a tension. I've sat with families where they had someone with a horrible diagnosis on a ventilator on something, and I've prayed with them for healing, and I've sat with a time where they go, you know, it's time. It's time to let go. But I want to know if you're going through something, there is a ministry that you have by telling others what it's like. It's one of the things I most grieve about is we don't ever talk about it, and we don't actually help each other through it. So it becomes something that when it comes to our time, no one's ever shared with us what it's like. And obviously they can't share on the other side, but they can share in their journey that we need you in your own struggle to begin to talk honestly. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm fearful. How do I not have doubt? I just have peace. Those are things we need to know with each other. Man, if you're going through something, we want you to share it, not to carry it alone. And I'll say it again. The journey through valleys is done together. It's just meant for us not to go alone. I want to tell you this as a simple application. If you're going through something, we want you to tell the people around you. If you need our help, we want to do that. If some of you go, I, I I want you to know I'm going through something, man, get on the connection card and it says a place for a comment. Just push that and tell us, I've had a terminal diagnosis. I'm having a difficult one. We're building a whole way to care so we can help, but also help you with your family and walk. If you're someone who wants to minister out of what you've been through, same button. Just say, I want to be someone who cares, and we want to engage you as we're building that. We have groups that are set up this way. We have a group that meets for family members who've died by suicide because we know they need to walk together with this. We have a group of women that have met that are widows that feel alone and that. We have other groups just to engage with and be in community. We have counseling that we help you refer to. You can write that in there too. But my hope is that we will actually journey together through these valleys. And my desire is that we wouldn't be people that don't talk about it. We actually live into it. I want to give you this final thing for those of you who are with us that might even just be contemplating Jesus. It's a very, it's a very beautiful thing of the way God does things. So God tells us he's a shepherd, and that's what Jesus is. He's just described that way, which what I'm telling you then is guess what? Jesus actually wants to walk with you through life and be your shepherd of your life. But he not only was a shepherd, he was a sheep. Jesus became the lamb that is sacrificed. And we understand that to mean he dies our death so that we're forgiven. He also dies our death, so death is defeated. And he walks through death that he understands and walks through the pain and sorrow of what no one else has to minister in it. So I would say, if today you go, I need a shepherd. I I can't do this on my own. I'd say, why don't you ask Jesus to be your shepherd? Why don't you ask him to actually walk with you in life? to help you lie down in green pastures, to help to lead you to side life, and to walk with you through the darkest valleys. Let me pray for us, for you and then for all of us. Lord, I ask that you would meet any of those who, they just say, I can't do it alone, they need a shepherd, that you would be their shepherd. God, I don't even know what you need to show them, but show them. 
Show them how you love them, you're with them, you're for them. And Lord, begin to walk with them if it's a dark valley in there. Live and walk with them just through the day-to-day life. But I pray for those who want to follow you, Jesus, that you would become their shepherd and they would sense that. They would receive your forgiveness, your life, and your hope. Lord, I pray for the rest of us, those who are going through difficulty, that they would trust their life to you, the one who made life because precious in the sight of you, Lord, is the death of your faithful ones. Thank you that your faithfulness and your faithful ones is only through Jesus, not through what we do. You're not looking for a scale of how well we did, but you just want us to know Jesus was faithful on our behalf. And God, I pray for those who are walking with others that you would help them move towards to be present and to listen. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.